And if you're able and would desire to do that, uh, I'm going to have you stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading with verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word. Now that was the preaching of the apostle Peter. It was a long message, a wonderful message. They that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and in breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church every Easter. <laughs> Is that what your Bible says? Now, when I became a pastor down in western Kentucky, we had two revivals a year, a spring revival and a fall revival. And uh, if you did not get saved in the spring revival, you'd have to wait for the fall revival. <laughs> okay. But, uh, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for Bluegrass Baptist Church, everything I've heard about it, the wonderful people I've met here today. I thank you, dear Lord, that you raised up the Fannage to come here and start a good Bible-believing fundamental church. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd help me today. I'd sure love to be a blessing to these dear people. But the only way I could do that would be that you would bless and use me. And more than any time in my life, I realized that you're the vine and I'm just a branch. And without you, I can do nothing. But Lord, as I yield myself to you and as I abide in you, and you bless me through your presence in my life, I pray you do that today. Lord, I, I pray that you would uh, touch my mind that I could think right. I pray that, dear Lord, you would touch my lips, my tongue, that I could speak right. But more important than all of that, I pray, dear Lord, that you will touch my heart, that I would be right. Lord, we ask these blessings in your name. Amen. You may be seated. In the passage we have read this morning, we find a record of the first church. We'd like to call it the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. Amen. 
If we desire to be the kind of Christians that will glorify our great God, then we need to follow the examples of this church. Uh, many times we say, uh, we are a New Testament Baptist church. Well, what is a New Testament Baptist church? It's right here in, the, in these verses. Uh, now, for many, many years, the church at Jerusalem was the model church. Uh, later in the book of Acts, the church at Antioch became probably the most important church in the book of Acts. Uh, now, when something happened, they needed to know something, they'd always go back to the church at Jerusalem. But the church at Antioch was a primarily Gentile church, and it became a model church. And then we read in 1 Thessalonians that the church at Thessalonica was an example to other churches. They were a model church. So when we look at uh, Acts chapter 2 and verses 41 through 47, uh, we find what a model church is. Uh, when a person trusts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and is baptized and join a church, they do not become a part of an organization. For instance, we may join a club, a team, a fellowship. However, when we are saved and baptized and join a church, we become part of the body of Christ. For instance, Bluegrass Baptist Church is the body of Christ in this area. And by the way, when we trust Christ as Savior, then God has given every one of us a spiritual gift. In other words, there are no unimportant, insignificant parts in the body of Christ. In the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul likens the church to a physical body. And every, every part in your body is important, okay? And so you have a spiritual gift. If you've been born again, if you've been saved, uh, you have at least one spiritual gift. Now, every once in a while, I meet some people that say, well, I can't do nothing. And every time I hear that, I say, well, no, that's wrong. Number one, it's wrong grammatically. I can't do nothing is a double negative. Number two, it just ain't so, amen. <laughs> okay. I mean, everybody can do something. You have a spiritual gift. And by the way, that spiritual gift is not a trophy to be bragged about. It's not a toy to be played with. It is a tool to be a part and to edify the body. In other words, every member of Bluegrass Baptist Church has a responsibility to use that spiritual gift to edify, to build up Bluegrass Baptist Church. Let's notice some of the characteristics of the church at Jerusalem, which indeed is a model church. Number one, look at verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word. What, what was the word? Uh, I, I don't have time this morning, and, and you can read it for yourself, but it, 
they, they listened to the preaching of Peter. And, uh, you know, on, on this day, they were, all the people were filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, it, it was a wonderful thing. And they, they began to speak in tongues that they had never learned. And people from all over the world, and they heard the gospel being preached in their own tongue. And somebody said, these men are all drunk, full of new wine. Peter said, wait a minute. It's just 9 o'clock in the morning, okay? Uh, so so they're, they're not drunk. They're not filled with wine. Uh, they, this is the fulfillment of Joel when he emphasized that all the people would be filled with the Holy Ghost of God. And then he began to preach. Uh, now, just a few days before that, uh, Peter had denied that he even knew the Lord. I mean, even before a little girl, he was so afraid and so forth. But now he is bold. The, the resurrection has happened. And he has resurrected power. And he stands up and he, and, and he begins to preach. And he preaches a great message. And uh, at, at the end of that, the Bible talks about the people were pricked in their heart and, and said to Peter, uh, what must we do? What must we do? By the way, that's a good question. If you're here this morning or you're listening online or whatever, if you've never been saved by the grace of God, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that'd be a good question to answer. The Philippian jailer asked that. What must I do to be saved? Thank God Paul and Silas gave him the right answer. I've often wondered if you went to a ministerial association someday and said, uh, what must I do to be saved? Man, you'd get a variety of answers. But they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And, and so, uh, number one, it was a church made up of people who had trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They had listened to the sermon that Peter preached, were pricked in their hearts, which literally means they were convicted of their sin, okay? And they obeyed the gospel that Peter had preached. Think about it. They didn't get religion. They had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. By the way, uh, if you've been born again this morning, if you've been saved, then it was not just because you were born in a Christian home. I mean, it was not just because you've been a good person. No, no. It was because you realized that you were a sinner and on your way to hell and you trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They were pricked in their heart. They had been convicted of their sins. Look at verse 37. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, the sermon of Peter, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? We've done a horrible thing. We've crucified Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What shall we do? They had heard the gospel in verses 23 and verse 24. Uh, very plainly, Peter had told them 
that even though they had crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, that this was a part of God's plan. And uh, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And, and because of that, uh, we, we don't have to pay our own sin debt. Jesus became our substitute. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So they were convicted of their sin. They heard the gospel and they obeyed the preaching of Peter. They repented. What does that mean? They made a turnaround. They changed their mind about themselves. And by the way, when you realize that you are a sinner and on your way to hell, that's a good thing to realize. And you turn from that and you turn to Jesus. Repentance is turning from something to somebody. And it is an act that leads us to a change in our actions. They repented. They were sorry for their sin. And they said, we believe Jesus died for us. They obeyed the preaching of Peter. I, I love John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Listen to it. He came into his own, talking about Jesus. And his own received him not. And by the way, uh, you have to make a decision about Jesus Christ. And the decision that you make about Jesus determines where you will spend eternity. And they had to, they had to make it. Then they, uh, he came to his own and his own received him not. But then the rest of that. But as many as received him gave he the power to become the sons of God. So it was a church made up of saved people. People who had had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I got saved in a Youth for Christ meeting in 1949. A few days after that, they were having a revival at the Baptist church in my town. And uh, I, I went forward one night and I, I said to Pastor Ratliff, Brother Ratliff, I, I've, I've been saved. Uh, I want to become a member of Norton Baptist Church. And uh, so he took me aside in a little room. And I'm glad he did that. And the reason he did that was he wanted to be sure I was saved. By the way, uh, if you joined the church before you got saved, uh, that meant absolutely nothing. If you got baptized before you got saved, that meant absolutely nothing. You just got dunked, amen? Okay, but uh, he wanted to be sure I was saved, so he set me down, gave me a little New Testament, and he had underlined in that New Testament Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And he went through the plan of salvation, wanted to be sure I was saved. And we prayed together again. And those verses, he said, Now, Don, before you come to the revival meeting tomorrow night, I want you to have memorized these two verses. 
And I took that New Testament home that night. And uh, uh, w with a lamp beside my bed, we had no electricity, okay? With a lamp beside my bed, I read over and over and over Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I took the New Testament to, to school the next day, and I wanted to be sure I, I would know it. And I got to church the next night, and Brother Ratley said, Now, Don, uh, quote those verses. And thank God I could. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And Brother Ratliff wanted to let me know that it was not what I did that got me saved, it was what Jesus Christ did. It is all of God, all of His grace. They obeyed the preaching of Peter. Then guess what? Then they were baptized. Uh, let's talk for just a minute about baptism. Every once in a while somebody say, well, why do Baptists make such a big deal about baptism? Well, it's pretty simple. Because the Bible does. I mean, uh, Jesus himself got baptized. Not because he he was never had any sin or anything but he identified himself with the people. And uh, so let's, let's think just a minute about baptism. Uh, number one, it is for believers. When I was associate pastor in Harvey, Illinois, uh, I went to visit a lady that had just had a baby and prayed with them. And the lady in the next bed to her in the room, she said, uh, Pastor, uh, would you come over and pray with me and my baby? I said, sure, I'll do that. And I did. And she said, uh, now she thought I was a Lutheran pastor. And she said, now, when should my child get baptized? And I said, well, when he is old enough to realize he's a sinner and on his way to hell, and he trusts Jesus Christ as his Savior, then he's ready to be baptized. And the good thing is, I got to lead her to the Lord that day. Amen. All right. Uh, it's, it's for believers. Number two, it's by immersion. Uh, the word baptism was not translated from the Greek language. It was transliterated. That's when you take a word from one language and put it into another language. In Japan, we have several words like that, like the word helicopter. It wasn't translated. It was transliterated, or chocolito. That's my favorite word, amen? <laughs> but it, it, so, in other words, if it was translated, uh, it would mean dunked or immersed. Never meant, never meant sprinkled or poured. In, in fact, uh, Brother Cobb, uh, if it had been translated uh, instead of Bluegrass Baptist Church, it would be Bluegrass Immersion Church. <laughs> okay, that's exactly what it means. So sprinkling, pouring, uh, that's not baptism. Number three, it is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it indicates that we have died to sin, the old man has been buried, and we are walking in the newness of life. It's a picture. It has nothing to do with me being saved. But it is a proof to the world 
It is my way of saying I'm not ashamed of it. I'm glad to confess that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and I'm following him in baptism. Now, my, my wife has been in heaven for six years, uh, but I still wear my wedding ring. Uh, I'm not available, okay? <laughs> I, I still wear now, now, wearing a wedding ring does not make you saved. You've heard the illustration. But it says to the world, hey, that's a saved man. I never will forget reading something Zig Ziglar did one day. And he was sitting by this fellow, and they'd gotten pretty close to each other. And uh, uh, Zig noticed that he had his wedding ring on, on his right hand rather than the left hand. And he said to him, said, sir, sir, could I ask you a question? Uh, sure, go ahead. Uh, why do you have your wedding ring on the wrong hand? And the fellow said, that's simple, Zig. I'm married to the wrong woman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, if you're married, you're not married to the wrong woman. Or <laughs> the wrong man. Uh, it indicates to the world that I'm a Christian. And it identifies me with God's people. It's a wonderful thing, is it not? A body of baptized believers. Then number three, notice. They continued in the teaching of the apostles. Look at it. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread. They continued. In other words, they got saved, but they didn't say, well, now that I'm saved, I, I might go to church. I might. No, no, no. Uh, they continued. Now, now they didn't have a, the New Testament written at that time, but they continued in the doctrines and the teachings of the apostles that they had heard. And by the way, many of them later became part of the New Testament. So they, they attended worship regularly. Uh, I pastored a part-time church in Kentucky, two of them. One of them had preaching on first and third Sunday, and other had preaching on second and fourth Sunday. So I pastored two churches. On the fifth Sunday, we didn't go to church, okay? <laughs> well, we did, but I didn't have any preaching responsibility. But we, we, when the church began to grow pretty rapidly, and I said, hey, we ought to be having church every Sunday. And one of the deacons, uh, he was sort of the head of the deacons. He wasn't voted in, but he was. Uh, he let you know it, okay? But he said, Brother Sisk, I like the old time way. He said, I remember when we just had preaching once a, once a month. And I said, you like the old time way? Yeah. How, how old do you like? You like the New Testament? They continued daily with one accord. <laughs> okay, they, they, they continued. They continued in the study of the word of God, the words of the apostles. And by the way, you know what that means? That means that every day we find some time, and I trust many of you do in your home with your wife and your children, that you find some time when you gather together and you read the word of God and pray. You say, well, we're so busy, we don't have time for that. Uh, that don't take as much time as divorce court. And that don't take as much time as juvenile court. 
the Bible ought to be a part of your daily life. Now, thank God you come here and you hear the preaching of God's Word and Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and so forth. But we need the Word of God every day. They continued steadfastly. Okay? Number four, they were a generous church. Uh, let me mention here, okay? Uh, just a saying I heard a long time ago. I liked it, okay? But think about it as you look at these different characteristics of this church. Think of this thing. If every church member was just like me, what kind of a church would my church be? So when you think about the characteristics of this early church, the first church, just think about it. Uh, am I following the example that they followed? Okay. And that meant they attended the worship regularly. They continued Bible study and prayer. And then in verses 44 and 45. Now, by the way, some people have claimed this was communism, but it wasn't. It wasn't something that was compulsory. It's just something they did. Look at verses 44 and 45. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, now what had happened here is that they, and for, for the Feast of Pentecost, people had come from all over the world. And many of them got saved. In fact, the Bible said, the same day they were ready to be about 3,000 souls. And every once in a while, somebody will say to me, how in the world do you baptize 3,000 people in one day? Well, I wish I had that problem, amen? <laughs> I, I wish 3,000 people would get saved and we'd get them baptized some way, amen? But the bottom line is, <clears throat> they'd come from all over the world. <clears throat> they planned to stay maybe a week to 10 days. But they stayed there. And they didn't have any jobs. And so the people that lived in Jerusalem and had houses and land, they sold some of that and they gave it so that they could exist. Uh, just one word, okay? <clears throat> it was a generous church. Generous church. What if every church member was just like you? What kind of a church would your church be? I, I hope it would be a generous church. By the way, I believe from the depth of my heart that every born-again child of God ought to give at least one-tenth of everything they make every week for the work of the local church. It's very simple. Bring you all the tithes in the storehouse and see if there'll not be meat in my house. Okay? And I'll pour you out a blessing. Uh, everybody ought to be tithing. Virginia and I got married in 1952. We weren't old enough to get married, but we did anyway, okay? I'm, I'm not going to tell you how young we were because you're not old enough if you're that age, okay? <laughs> but we hadn't been members of the uh, Black Oak Baptist Church very long until uh, Brother Jones said, open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. And I'd been saved a couple of years, so, so I, I knew, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'd heard a message on tithing. But that day he preached a very simple message on tithing. You know, the tithe is one-tenth of everything God gives you. 
The tithe is supposed to be given to the local church. That's where you get your food and so forth. And uh, uh, if you don't tithe, you're robbing God. And if you do tithe, God will bless you. Pretty simple, amen? Now, I'm sure I'd heard messages on tithing before. But if I had, uh, it was like a lot of messages I preached. People listened, but they didn't do anything about it. You, you heard about the deacon, two deacons, and the pastor that went deer hunting. And they'd got in the deer stand. Hadn't been there long. This big book deer up here. Bang, bang, bang. All of them shot. And they all gathered around the deer, and they were all sure it was my bullet that killed the deer. And a game warden came up. And, and he said, now, what's the argument? He said, well, uh, the two of us are deacons, and this is the preacher. And all of us think it was our bullet that killed that deer. And the game warden picked up the deer by his antlers and looked around both sides of his face. He said, which one's the preacher? The preacher lifted his hand. He said, okay, it was your, your shot. The deacon said, now, wait a minute. How in the world can you say that? He said, well, the bullet went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> But that day, I not only heard and listened, but I obeyed. By the way, you could not pay me enough money to get me not to tithe. 1968, I learned about faith promise giving. Marquette Manor Baptist Church in Chicago, Illinois, Dr. Bill McCarroll taught on 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And I learned about faith promise. And I began to give faith promise that year. My first faith promise commitment was $5 a month, or $5 a week. And you say, well, that wasn't much faith. But I was a missionary in Japan and had $500 a month support. It was faith. By the way, when I first started tithing, I was making a dollar an hour. Now, most of you are not old enough to even imagine that. So that meant $40 a week. So my tithe was $4. And uh, you say, well, if the tithe is just $4 a week, I wouldn't mind tithing. <laughs> but when you only have $36 left, that's not much. Amen. Right. Now, now the, the emphasis of that is my tithe did not make an impact on the budget of Black Oak Baptist Church in Gary, Indiana, but it made an impact on me. My first faith promise was $5 a week. It did not make an impact on the mission treasure of Calvary Baptist Church, but it made an impact on me. Bottom line, it was a generous church. So let me get to two other points real quickly. I'm trying to quit, but I have a hard time trying. Okay, I have a hard time quitting. Look, number five, they were a busy people, and happy in the work of God. Hey, by the way, the best advertisement for biblical Christianity is a joyous Christian. Look at it in verse 46. Then they continued daily with one accord in the temple. with one accord in the temple. 
and breaking bread from house to house. Did eat their meat with gladness. Look at the word gladness. Don't you like that? And with singleness of heart. In other words, it's not uniformity, but it's unity. Okay. Then look at praising God. And, and by the way, uh, if anybody ought to be a happy, joyous, praising people, it's people that's been born again by the Spirit of God. Amen. So they, they were busy in the work of God, and, and, and they were happy. Last of all, it was an evangelistic church. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. In uh, 1965, my wife, my daughter Renee, my son Tim went to Japan. In 1966, we started the Cindy Newtown Baptist Church. And it was a miracle church from the beginning. In fact, the very first night that we had service, Thursday night, 11 people got saved. Uh, there, there was a young man that came, and I was down front, uh, out in the first story of the building, and we had a, a room rented on the second floor. There would seat about 60 people. And it began to fill up, and uh, man, I got so excited about it. There was this young fellow that showed up, and he had the pamphlet, had my picture on one side, had the picture of my interpreter, Brother Takagi, Keita Takagi. And he, he said this, he said, Mr. Sisk, I want you to know, I don't have any interest in Christianity. I, I see you're speaking to an interpreter tonight. I'm working on my master's degree in English from Kansai University, and I came here tonight to practice my English. And I felt real bad. I thought, good night, I didn't come 7,000 miles so somebody could practice English. And then I thought, and my conducting in English is nothing for anybody to practice on. <laughs> I mean, you and I both are in bad shape. But that night I preached a very simple gospel message. At the end of the message, I said, now, if you would like to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord, and we'd had a wonderful service, great song service, I mean, testimonies and so forth. And uh, 11 people lifted their hands. That's a miracle anywhere in the world. But in Japan? I mean, you might go for a whole year and wouldn't even think about baptizing more than one or two people. Eleven people got saved that night. And one of them was that young man. And since he spoke English, I dealt with him, amen? <laughs> and that night he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Within six months, I knew that he was going to be the pastor of that church. And he pastored that church for 51 years. I was just there a few days ago. He just transferred the, past, the pastorate from himself to two of his sons to be co-pastors. Wow, an evangelistic church. One day when he was in Bible school, and we'd have the uh, Bible school students to preach at chapel, and he preached from this verse, and the Lord added to the church daily. And he said, I got to reading this. And he said, so I divided my church up into seven groups. And every day, we have a group of people that are out door knocking, witnessing, giving out tracts, and so forth. 
And the reason we do that, the Bible says, and the Lord added to the church daily. And by the way, they went for over 15 years without ever having a Sunday morning service without having at least one first-time visitor. And the Lord added to the church daily. Uh, it was an evangelistic church. Let me remind you, everybody you meet is either going to heaven or to hell. And we have the best news in the world. The gospel. The death. He died for our sin. The burial. He's a buried to take away our sin. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the most powerful message in the whole world. And every one of us ought to be witnesses. Acts chapter 1. You shall be filled with the Holy Spirit. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. May I encourage you, get involved in spreading the good news. Get involved with telling people how they can know they're saved and going to heaven. There's nothing like it in the whole world. It was an evangelistic church. Now think in closure. If every church member was just like me, what kind of church would my church be? Would it be a church of born-again believers, people that have had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Uh, would, it, would it be a church that continues in the Bible, in regular worship? Would it be a generous church? Would it be an evangelistic church? Are you a book of Acts type Christian? Have you been saved? Hey, think about it real seriously. Do you know for sure you're saved and going to heaven? Several years before my wife went to heaven, she had double knee replacement. Both of us needed it. And we decided we'd let her go first, okay? <laughs> I'm not sure why I did that, okay? But she did real well, and then I had the same thing. But when she was in Rahab, I went to see her every day and spent about an hour or two with her. And I went to Rahab one day, and, and the girl at the desk had changed, and she was a new one. And uh, as, as I was going in, she said, Sir, do you know where you're going? And, and I said, oh, yeah, I know where Virginia's room is. I come visit her every day. And then I said, and by the way, uh, I know where I'm going when I die. And she said, oh, nobody can know that. You've heard that, haven't you? Oh, nobody can know that. And I said to her, ma'am, do you believe the Bible? Oh, yeah, I believe the Bible. Hey, by the way, everybody in Tennessee believes the Bible. <laughs> they don't know what's in it, but they believe it, Okay. I've often said what the Bible Belt needs is to be built with the Bible. Amen. And I quoted her, 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written in you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, now, I said, now listen, that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. She said, I can't buy that. I said, you're right, it's not for sale. It's a gift of God, amen. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. 
and the whole book of 1 John, these things have I written in you that believe on the name of the Son, God, that you may know. Do you know for sure you're saved and going to heaven? It was a church that cared about the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. Let's pray together.